0: This is something we don't talk about enough. Now, to kick us off where we've been, we've been going through the book of Romans verse by verse. And over the last couple of weeks, there's been this theme... Uh, that Paul is really hitting on, where dealing in matters outside of the moral law, so dealing with matters of just personal preference or conviction, things like following the dietary kosher laws or worshiping on the Sabbath or worshiping on the Lord's Day, meaning Saturday or Sunday, uh, those types of things is, are not things the church should be squabbling over. We should actually find unity more important than division, uh, and we should come together. And the reason we should come together is because it's not about us, it's about the glory of God. So if it's not part of the moral law, why are we squabbling? We should have a common purpose and a common goal, which is the glory of God. Now, the subject matter changes a little bit. And Paul is concluding his letter. This is as he's kind of winding down and landing the plane. To his conclusion. He's pointing, he's getting to the point where he's recognizing he really desires, and he's already mentioned this earlier in the letter, but he desires to come to Rome, and he's planning to visit the church in Rome. And now he's going to give his reasons uh, for wanting to visit and the things he wants to see done on this journey that he's planning. Uh, And some exaltation and points to. The church in Rome. And so Paul's conclusion is after talking about unity makes a lot of sense because now he's talking about how he wants to interact with this body of believers in the church in Rome and how he expects them to act um, as they're preparing for him to come visit. And so it starts here in verse 14. He says, now, I myself am confident concerning you my brethren that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and also uh, able also to admonish one another so we're going to hang out here in this first verse for a while because I think this is something we don't talk about enough and it's really relevant to where we're headed as a church as well so paul As he's reaching out to this group in Rome at the end of his letter, and his plan to come visit them, and his plan to interact with them, how he expects them to act, he sets out an expectation for the church. An expectation that he has of believers and followers of Christ. So, even still, this should be shouting out from the rooftops to you. This is the type of thing that Paul has an expectation of each and every one of us. As the Holy Spirit is using Paul to write down this scripture, as he's reaching out to believers, this is the expectation. He says, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. Meaning, he's confident in them because they are his brothers in Christ. They are fellow followers of Christ, and now he has an expectation of them. What is the expectation? That you also... Meaning there's a reputation that Paul has built up that they have of him. They've seen and heard the stories of how the Holy Spirit has used Paul, about how churches have started, the gospel is spreading among the Gentiles, how people have been healed because of Paul's faith. And he says, the reputation that I've built is not because he's Paul. It's because he's a follower of Christ it's because it's Christ's reputation, not Paul's. And so he has the same expectation of you. That you, because you are a follower of Christ, are also tapped into that same spirit. You are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, meaning you have access. Now, there's a couple of things. He's speaking to a large group of believers. He might not be talking to an individual, meaning not every person inside the church is filled with all kinds of crazy knowledge, but the church itself as a whole has the ability to build each other up and to share knowledge. In fact, that's the point of meeting, is to build up and to study the scriptures and become strengthened by the word so that we can minister to the world who doesn't know God. And so he's saying, as a church, you all together fill those gaps, meaning you are full of goodness because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and as such, as a group of believers who gather together to be studying the word and be strengthened by it so that you can minister to the community who doesn't know Jesus, you are filled with all knowledge as a group of believers, and you are able to admonish one another. Now, admonish means a lot of things. It means teach, it means correct, and rebuke. All of those things are true. And so what he's saying is because as a group of believers, you should be intimately aware of what is going on with each other's lives as a church, as a group of brothers. And as you're gathered together, strengthening yourself by the word of God and knowing the word of God and having the spirit in you, There are those of you who have discernment, who should be able to correct one another. There are those of you who are teachers, who should be able to teach and understand. There are those of you who know what's going on when someone's in need, and you should be able to encourage them. All of those things are true, and as a group of believers, those are the things expected of you. So as Paul is writing a letter, he's in this beginning of his conclusion, he's flipping the script to what modern church is. Because his expectation is of everybody in the church, not just the guy teaching. You, as a group of believers, as a whole, should be participating in the ministry and doing the things that Christ has called you to do, and using your gifts to fill that gap as a ministry so that you can teach, correct, encourage one another, and be filled with goodness and no discernment between good and evil and keeping each other on the right path. So already it's convicting. Verse 15 Nevertheless brethren I have written more boldly to you on some points as uh, to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles Ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, um, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so, as he continues, he's saying that to this particular group, this group is unique. To this group, he's writing a little bit harsher, a little bit bolder, because he has an expectation based on what he knows of that church. There's a reason that Paul has not visited this church yet. There's a reason Paul has not didn't start this church, and we'll get into it as we move through this portion of the letter. And that's what he's referring to here, that basically he's a little bit harsher with them or bold with them because of an expectation he has set by their reputation. And as such, he points back to his ministry, that he's a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, and his goal is to see the Gentiles come to faith. Now, that's actually not what Paul always does. Everywhere Paul goes, you see it through the book of Acts, he goes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, but he has become aware that his ministry is successful among the Gentiles where it's not successful among the Jews. And he's accepting his role in ministry, even though it's not everything he wants his ministry to be, he's accepting his role, and that's why he says, that these points he's reminding them because of the grace given to me by God. So everything that you hear about Paul and his reputation and the great things that Paul has done, he's saying it is only by the grace of God that you're hearing those things. It is not me accomplishing them. It is not my will or my goals, because even Paul himself goes to the Jews every time and is unsuccessful and then preaches to the Gentiles and is successful. He is only successful in ministry because of what God is telling him to do, and because he has listened to God's call on his life and is following the gifts and the direction that God has set out for him. And so he's saying, you should do the same. Accept the grace of God and the calling to ministry and the gifts that you have and use your gifts to minister so that the gospel can be spread at its strength because you're listening to God's guiding in your life. How are you gifted? Where are you gifted? Who should you be preaching to? Who should you be helping? What should you be doing? Use your gifts so that the Holy Spirit is using you at its best capacity so that the gospel has its best chance to reach ears that need it. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and in deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And initially, this sounds almost like a prideful statement. It says, I have reason to glory. Meaning, he has reason to boast. But if you listen to the boast, it turns out to be have nothing to do with Paul himself. His boast has everything to do with the grace of God, with the work that the Holy Spirit is using him to do, and the work comes from Christ. So the boast is Jesus. The thing he's proud of, is Jesus and what Jesus is accomplishing. And he's just thankful to be a part of that journey. He gives the credit to God and is just thankful to be a part of the journey. And he has accepted his role to be a minister to the Gentiles and to help them come to obedient faith in Christ. Verse 19. In mighty sins and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But it was written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So now we get Paul's reason. The reason Paul has not gone to Rome, the reason he hasn't visited Rome even though he's desired to, is because Paul's ministry has been all about going where people haven't heard about Jesus already. There was already a church in Rome when Paul started his ministry, so there was no reason for him to go there because he was never compelled by the Spirit to go where there was already a church. He wanted to go where people hadn't heard about Jesus. In fact, in doing so, he even commits himself to being someone who fulfills prophecy. See, the little end there where it says, to him to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand, is from Isaiah chapter 52. After giving a pretty graphic description of the Savior and the Messiah, it talks about how those who did not know will now know. And Paul sees himself as a Fulfillment of that prophecy as someone who goes out to those who have never heard and brings the faith of Jesus and the worship of Yahweh to those who did not know beforehand. Because his entire goal has been to be where the gospel has not been preached yet. He wants to go to those who haven't had a chance to hear. He's an evangelist by heart. Verse 22, For this reason, I have been much hindered from coming to you, but no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So now Paul explains why he plans to visit Rome. He's basically said, On the east side Of the Roman Empire, I have gone, I've exhausted my usefulness out here. I've gone to all the regions I can find that haven't heard the gospel, and now I am compelled to head over to the west side of the Roman Empire, all the way to Spain, because he wants to go somewhere else where the gospel has not been yet preached, and it just so happens that Rome is on the way, because in the Roman Empire, all roads lead to Rome. And so Rome will be on the way, and since he already had this desire to visit the church in Rome, he now sees an opportunity for that to happen. Now Paul does eventually visit the church in Rome, but not according to his plan. Because Paul's plan was to continue his missionary journey to Spain and on the way stop at Rome. But the way Paul ends up in Rome is he gets arrested and ends up traveling to Rome to go to trial before Caesar. So we don't actually know if he ever even made it to Spain. And he didn't make it to Rome on his way to Spain because he made it there from Roman soldiers giving him a ride. Which, you know, you might laugh at that, but the truth is he got to where he wanted to go and he got the government to pay for it. So, you know, and he got to preach the gospel in front of Nero. So Paul gets to do what he's planned to do, but it wasn't his will that accomplished it. It was God's will, and the circumstances around it actually allowed much of the New Testament to be written because of Paul's trials and being put in jails over and over and his constant bickering with local officials and governments. Uh, kept putting him in places where he could end up writing these letters. And so God's providence took over, and we have much of the New Testament Scripture because Paul's plan wasn't God's plan, uh, and God's plan was better for the whole of the church. And So Paul says, though, interestingly, that his plan to go to Rome has nothing to do with him going to Rome. His plan on going to Rome is just because it's a pit stop on the way to where he wants to go where the gospel isn't preached, because Paul, still in his heart, wants to go to places where the gospel isn't preached. He's just happy to see the people in Rome on his way. But there's an interesting expectation that he has for them. He says, when he comes to them, he hopes to see them on his journey and to be helped on his way there by them. So says, if I first may enjoy your company for a while. So, this is actually a ministry principle of if you are ministering to a people and you're a teacher and you're doing good work, you are hoping, especially on a missionary journey, that they will come alongside you and help you out and help you accomplish the goal of the ministry. Now, Paul didn't do this everywhere he went. In the Church of Corinth, he refused to take any money from the Church of Corinth. Um, he actually he kind of regretted that later. We'll get into that when we're in the book of Corinthians. but. Um, He is asking them for his help because on his journey he needs help. And as clearly as someone who has built up a respectful reputation in the Church of Rome, he hopes that they will help him because of the work they've seen and heard of him doing. But now, he says, I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also to minister them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you uh, to Spain. So Paul says, right now what he's doing is he's on his way to go to Jerusalem before he heads to Rome and then on the way to Spain, so that he can minister to the saints there in Jerusalem. I want to cover this for a brief moment because this has actually led to some confusion. Some churches, very few, but some have this idea that they should give a percentage of what they bring in to Israel because of what Paul did here in bringing a portion of his ministry to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not particularly opposed to that idea in general. In fact, as a church, we give a portion of our what we bring in to the Joshua Fund, um, which is in Israel, and its goal is to bless Israel and her neighbors. But what Paul is doing here is he's actually going to the saints to minister to them, and he's bringing help to them because the ch- where the church got started is now poor. And it's probably because of the unpopularity of Christianity in Jerusalem, where the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the temple exist and do not want Jesus preached. And so he's going there to bring help, and he's ministering to his brothers and sisters, the fellow believers in Christ in Jerusalem, and he's bringing help to them. Now, as a church, that is actually what we're doing by giving money to the Joshua Fund. We're giving money to a Christian organization, to people who minister the gospel in Israel and in the surrounding nations. And so we are trying to follow that principle without being legalistic about it, um, just because we want to bless not only the local regions, but the world. Uh, and we also believe that Abraham was right, or the promise to Abraham was right, that those who bless his descendants are blessed and those who curse them are cursed. And we want to be blessers of those people, um, but specifically for spiritual reasons. So we give money to the Joshua Fund. <clears throat> but his goal is to go there to help the church in Jerusalem that has needs a contribution because the saints in Jerusalem have uh not been getting a lot of help, and they've been getting kind of beat down by society. Verse 27. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, verse 28, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So when he leaves Jerusalem, he plans on going to Spain and... On the way, stopping at Rome. Verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, that doesn't seem like a particularly profound verse or thing for him to say, but I just want to stop on that for a moment. This is the Apostle Paul, right? the greatest evangelist who ever lived. He wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. He was specifically the apostle to go to the Gentiles. He started most of the churches in the Roman Empire. And what he's saying is the reason that he's able to do any of this is because he submitted to the gospel, because of the power he gets from the Holy Spirit. And so when he comes, he plans on coming in the blessing of the gospel. Now, this to me is a little bit ironic because he makes it to Rome, but not the way he plans to. He goes by God's way because he submits to God's will rather than his own. Verse 30, now, I beg you, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Now, not only has he asked for a little bit of help when he makes it to Rome financially as a minister of the gospel, but here's the real, the real ticket. Here's the real thing that he needs. And to be honest, as someone who does full-time ministry, I would ask this of you too. Please pray for me. Like This is what Paul is saying. I'm begging you. I beg you through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, because of the grace of God, because we're brothers in Christ, because we follow the same God, and we find unity in that, have love for ministers of the gospel. And I ask that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Now, the word strive is an intense word. It's not passive. It is an aggressive word. Strive together in prayer. Seek intentionally to pray for your brothers and sisters, especially the people who are doing ministry. Pray for them. Dig your heels in and recognize this is a spiritual battle And the battle is won on the field of prayer. Dig your heels in, be aggressive and intentional about praying for your fellow Christians. Pray for the advance of the gospel. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now, here's an interesting piece. Paul had a bit of an issue with some of the people in Jerusalem. Because the introduction to Paul in the book of Acts, you find out that he is holding the coats of those throwing stones at a deacon, at Stephen. And he's encouraging them to continue to hurl the stones at Stephen as Stephen preaches the gospel. And so even when Paul came to Christ, the initial reaction was, can we trust this guy? He wanted to kill us. And then even after they finally accepted that Paul was one of them as a fellow believer and as a useful apostle, for Jesus at the first council they had when they were arguing about following parts of the Jewish law that had nothing to do with the moral law, they were a little bit argumentative with Paul because Paul was the preacher to the Gentiles who said, why are we putting the cultural restrictions of the Jews onto the Gentiles that have nothing to do with God's moral law? And so there's tension there, and he's asking for peace between him and his brothers. Now, this is also interesting considering what he had just finished talking about, unity being better than division, in matters outside of the moral law. And he's asking to bring unity to this place where there's been some tension. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God, and may be refreshed together with you. Now, the God of peace be with you. Amen. Listen to the expectation that Paul has of being around other believers, that he would be refreshed. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but I hope that that's what happens when we gather together. I Hope that when you walk out the doors, you feel refreshed because we gathered together and are strengthened by the Word of God, and have experienced real praise. Of Jesus and in doing so are refreshed so that we can tackle our lives as Christians and we can go be ministers of the gospel in, community, in the community in the way that God has called us to. Are we refreshed when we come together? If not, we need to answer some questions. We need to answer some questions whether that has to do with what's being done at the church or if there's something in your heart that needs to be fixed. If you are constantly negative, if you, have a neg- if you have a negative view of a lot of things, maybe that's an, an examination you need to take in your heart. But the church also needs to be willing to examine itself if the group as a whole is not feeling refreshed when we meet together. Because the word of God should be a wellspring to us that brings life and breathes life into us that we get strengthened by so that we can do what we're called to do. If we're not doing that, what is the problem? And if I had to guess, I think Paul addressed the problem in the beginning of what we talked about, which is the expectation that every believer has a mission. Every believer is a minister of the gospel. We are all called to be a part of the priesthood in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. We all have a role to play. We might not have the same gift. Maybe not everybody's a teacher. Maybe not everybody's a musician. Maybe your gift isn't on stage. But you have a role to play in ministry. You have a goal to obtain. You have something to do. You have a gift that God wants to use in you. And it shouldn't be the the church looking to fulfill that role through a staff position because we see a need that needs to be fulfilled, so we'll look for someone to fulfill it. Instead, we should ask, do I have that gift? Because if I have that gift, am I serving in the way that I should be serving? Am I doing the thing that should be done? And also, by the way, those things don't have to be done within the four walls of the church. They don't have to be done as a program for the church. They should just be done as you living your life as a faithful believer in Christ. If you are someone who is handy and sees someone in need, help. Right. if you are gifted as an evangelist and there are people who need to hear the word of God, evangelize. If you have a gift, use it. And if you can use it within the body of believers through the church program, great. But also use it in your personal life. It doesn't have to be within the four walls. It is no longer a special group of people like it was in the Old Testament, who were called to do the ministry. There's not a select few prophets and then a group of specifically uh, born from the Levitical line who handled the priesthood at the temple. It doesn't exist anymore. The Holy Spirit has been given access to all of us because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn at the temple and the Holy Spirit was let out to the world. We now all have access to him and his gifting inside of us, and it is up to us to use it, And that is Paul's expectation of the church when he goes to Rome, that the people would be using their gifts to do the work of the ministry. So what is your gift? How do you use it? And for goodness sake, when you gather together with the saints, when you come to church, are you refreshed? Do you need an examination of your heart? And does the church need to examine itself so that we become a group of people who get strengthened each other by the word of God and get motivated to do the work he has called us to do? So if there's a simple way to put everything that Paul was saying, it's get motivated because the power of the Spirit of God lives inside of you and has a mission for you to accomplish by the gift he's given you. Get motivated, use your gift, and get refreshed. If not, examine your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those you filled with the Spirit to write these words down. God, you tell us that all scripture is God breathed and we are hearing your words. Help us to listen and obey. Help us to be motivated and refreshed. Help us to find our calling, to use our gifts. So that people who don't know, who, who, people that have not accepted you, that haven't come to faith in Christ, have the opportunity to. Because we submit to your authority and your will. And we ask to be used by you. God, use us. And in doing so, I pray that we strive together. That we intentionally and boldly and aggressively pray for each other to do the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So because we don't have a band, there will be no closing song. So I'll leave you with this. I hope you're refreshed. I hope you're motivated. Let's do the work God has called us to do, and let's pray for each other as we do it. See you next week.